Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. And I'm excited to share uh, this Sunday morning. It's, It's a good day to study God's Word, don't you think? I got four people on the side, one guy in the back. We'll try it again. It's a good day to study God's Word, right? Excellent. Because there's a blessing in studying God's word. There really is. The Lord loves us. Uh, you know, and, and Ronald, I love that word that you gave. You gave that word about you know, following, following God's direction. Because what God wants us to do is God wants us to learn to hear his voice as his spirit speaks to us. And the, and the, and the spirit and the word come together and they guide our lives. And they help us understand ourselves better, uh, the people we love better, the people we don't love better, that we're supposed to love. <laughs> we got a few of those in there. I would, seriously, after the first service, a friend of mine was leaving. He goes, yeah, I got to start loving those people. And I thought, yeah, you do. He goes, that's going to be hard. Because <laughs> sometimes it is hard to love some people. It just is. But, but it's, it's rewarding. And, and that literally is the foundation of this series. This series is about loving our neighbors. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, why is it important? As Christians, I mean, you know, the Bible's got 66 books. Why, why focus on this? Because <laughs> he did say to, Jesus said to. And, and, and in fact, we studied last week about how we, we are all going to face storms in life. We're going to face attacks. We're going to face tragedies. We're going to face, you know, things that go bad and that aren't what we really wish would happen. And we've got to deal with those. And the way that we storm-proof our homes is learning to love our neighbors. In fact, Paul writes this in Galatians 5.14. He says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Command, no command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if, if all of the teachings that we study in the scripture can be interpreted through this kind of overarching filter, as it were, if, if kind of this is the, the point of view we, we have to take, it seems like it's a good idea for us to understand, number one, who our neighbors are, and how does God say we love them? Because most of you know the popular culture's definition of love doesn't necessarily line up with the scriptures. Amen? You know, in, in, in the popular culture, love is something that, that you have for somebody who's going to do something for you. You know, it's a quid pro quo type of a relationship. Yet in scripture, it tells us to love people because we care about them, because they matter, because they're important. And that's a very different paradigm. And so with that, I want to build on what we started last week by by getting into another verse that's going to serve as the foundation for this week's message. And it's Galatians 6, 8 through 10. And it says that, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Anybody ever get tired doing good things? (laughs) Of course you did. Everybody does. But, But he's encouraging them not to grow weary. And it says, at just the right time, Not the wrong time, but God's ordained time. If we do not grow tired in doing good, we will reap a harvest of blessings if, what does it say? We don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, how often is that? All the time. We should do good to everyone, especially 
to those in the family of faith. And having read that, I, I was you know, blessed to, to find these hats kind of in a storage box. And these are hats that Saving Moses put together for a convention they were at a few years ago. And for these hats and for Saving Moses, they came up with a slogan. And what's it say on my hat? Doing good is dope. <laughs> I mean, doing good is dope, man. That, that means it's, 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 it's popular. It's good. It, it's, it's good for you. And God wants us to do good. Saving Moses does a lot of good. Do I look good in this hat? Okay, I'm going to let you vote on it. Do I preach in the hat or without the hat? No, no, hang on. We're going to, we're going to do this in, in, in a civilized manner, Mahoney, all right? Everyone who thinks I should preach in the hat, raise your hands. Everyone thinks I should take the hat off and preach in my bald head, raise your hands. This is closer. First service, it was way, it was easy to pick. I'm going to wear the hat. Too bad. It's, I know my, hat is, my head is perfection. That's why God didn't cover it. But uh, anyway. Hey, would anybody like to have one of these hats, by the way? You would? I'm going to just toss it. There we go. All right. Anybody else? Uh, right, Batsy, I, I got to see how far I can sling it. I'm going to try to get back. If this hits anybody in the eye, you hereby waive any liability against me or the church, okay? And, oh, okay, there you go. I got it. Excellent. Good to have you. Thank you. Well, so, so we got this scripture that Paul is saying that we got this commandment. We got to love people and we got to do good to them. Because when you love somebody, you do good things to them, right? And do good things for them. I mean, you want them to be blessed. You want them to be prospered. You want them to, to overcome and be encouraged. It's, it's, it's the natural consequence. You know, and, and that's, that's what God wants for you. The Bible said he loves you. So when God is, is showing us how to live our lives, when God is coming into our, our, our existences and says, okay, I want to talk to you about your heart and your mind and what you believe and what you feel and, and whether those things are healthy, or whether you need to maybe make some changes in those. He's not just, you know, playing the God card, saying, I'm in charge, you're not, by gosh, it's my house, my rules, you'll do what I tell you to do. Any parent ever do that? Yeah. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> it's, it's, it, the point of it is, though, he's somebody who says, I want what's best for you. I want you to be everything you could possibly be, and I want you to love yourself. I want you to love yourself because you're an amazing person. You have the image of the divine in you. My image, God says. And so I want you to live in the place of security that you know just how incredibly important you are. And that's why we're preaching on Wednesday night. Pastor Steve is doing that whole series on knowing God as our father. Because if you don't know God as father, you never overcome your insecurities. You never overcome your self-doubts. You never overcome your, your, your fears and your anxieties. You perpetually walk around feeling like you are a complete dumpster fire of a human being. And that's not true. That's a lie. We used to say it this way. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And it is. Because that's one of the names of the enemy, of Satan. He is the deceiver. He's the father of lies. And if he can cause you to question your own value as a child of God, he can keep you from sharing God's love with others because it's really hard to share love with others when you don't love yourself. So having said that, I want us to get into some scriptures where they really talk about what 
God says about how we show love to others, how we do good, that is dope, all right? Consider Paul's letter to the Philippians, second chapter in the first through five verses. He's talking about our attitudes towards people. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Does God do anything good in your life that you're appreciative of? Any comfort from his love? Do you feel sometimes like just, in, yeah, of course. Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Is, has the Holy Spirit ever directed you? Told you not to do something or helped you avoid a problem? Okay. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. And he's talking as their mentor, as their apostle. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. There's a place in the scripture where Jesus teaches that you'll know they're from my Father and from me because of the love they have one for another and for the unity that you have in them. We're supposed to be in unity, doing good deeds together, helping one another do good deeds, helping one another overcome our weaknesses. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Boy, that's hard sometimes. Really contrary to what the world teaches. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. We have to actually care about our neighbors. Now, when Jesus was answering the question, who are our neighbors, he used that parable of the, of the, of the Good Samaritan and talked about the, the man who'd fallen into you know, being attacked. Sarah did a great message a couple of weeks ago on that, that, that. That's who it is, anybody who's in need. But let me just challenge you. Did you know your family are your neighbors? Your household is full of neighbors. You're not just you know, mother and, 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 and child or, or, or whatever. They're your neighbors. And we're supposed to love them and lay our lives down for them. Did you know that the church, the community of faith, is filled with neighbors? Neighbors. One of the, the defining characteristics of, of the church of Jesus Christ, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, is the affection we're supposed to have one for another. Is, is, the, is the sense that, that I'm going to value you, that I'm going to celebrate you. You know what this world is desperate for? An authentic experience with God that can only be revealed in a community of people who have had an authentic experience with God. Because they don't know what true koinonia looks like. We'll talk more about that. Koinonia is a Greek word for fellowship. But we're not only supposed to love our own families, and we're not only supposed to love one another, and we are supposed to love one another. We're meant to love all of those who are outside the church. But we got to have the right attitude. Years ago, I was attending a fundraiser for a ministry which was a good ministry. They provided famine relief in Africa. But the man who was over it stood up in front of all these people, and there were several hundred people in this room, and he said, I want to tell you about what we've got going on. There's a famine in Africa. We're raising money. But you want to know the truth? My ministry is unique. We only feed Christians. And I'm 25 years old. And I remember going like, I don't know that I want to give to you. 
Not that, not that it's wrong to take care of the family of God, but if you're going to just, and literally, the very next thing he said was this, I let the devil feed his own. <laughs> and I thought, okay, and I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. There's a scripture in here that says, do good to everyone, especially of the body of Christ, but it says everyone, and I think everyone is what? So if you're hungry, do we feed you regardless of your faith? Yes. I mean, that's crazy. But, but, but unfortunately, far too often, that's our heart. I'm going to care about who cares about me and not about other people. Romans, Paul writes in the 15th chapter in the second and third verses, he says, we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself, but as the scripture says, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. That word others there in the Greek, Sarah could probably give you a far better dissertation than I can, but, but it is a word that, that is translated neighbors in many other translations and other places in the Bible. And do you know what it means at its core? People who live nearby. That's a highly technical, did you guys get that? What does neighbors mean? People who live nearby. <laughs> and, and, and so what, what the writer is saying is you don't have to go all over the world to look for people to love. You can find people to love just down the street from your house or your place of work or your church or wherever you're at. People who are your neighbors are not difficult to locate because they're right around us if we'll just open our eyes and God will show them to us. But when we see that, we've got to realize that God wants us to, to encourage one another to begin to do good to those people. When? Whenever we have the opportunity. Now what that means? That's a good question. But we also have to realize that at times, we don't like people. Oh, come on, who's the self-righteous? And the guy's, oh, not me. There's times you just don't like people. They get on your nerves. They annoy you. They're, they're, they, they smell funny or they act funny or they say something stupid on social media. Or they, come on, people get on our nerves. And, and, and yet, and yet, it says in Colossians, again by Paul, third chapter, 12th and 13 verses, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. How many people do we forgive who offend us? Anyone. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. One of the reasons we don't minister to our neighbors is sometimes they just tick us off. William Faulkner is a great American novelist and playwright and other things, and he's from the South. And he has this quote that's been one of my favorite my whole life, and Faulkner said this about love. He said, you don't love because, you love despite. Not for the virtues, which means what people do for you or how people treat you, or what they say about you, but despite the faults. It's not love if you can't overlook something. 
Again, it's just quid pro quo. And that's how our culture sees love. We live in a messed up time. Have you noticed that? We have people who are standing up and cheering for self-destructive lifestyles. We have people standing up and cheering for, for things that make no sense, but they're convinced that they're true. We have people standing up and going, you should celebrate with us. And I'm like, but what you're doing is killing you. And it's killing other people, and I care about you, and I love you, and you're important to God, and you're important to us. And I don't want to judge you or condemn you or put you down. I want to love you, and I want to help you. And I can't, I can't celebrate this, but I can celebrate you. And I can serve you, and I can love you because I love myself. And I can forgive you and move past some stuff and begin to realize that in this broken, messed up, crazy, cultural dysfunction that has become far too common, both outside and within the church, we are desperate for people who will let the Holy Spirit come in and truly convict us of our own deceptions and our own judgments and our own whatever and help us to be transformed into people who love the way that Jesus did because that takes a miracle. But praise God, we have a miracle-working Father. Amen? We don't have to compromise. We don't have to agree. We don't have to, to, to apologize. In fact, the odds are we're going to get mocked and put down. I mean, if, if, if <laughs> come on. If they, they treated Jesus that way, they're going to treat us. But we got to keep loving. And we got to be honest with ourselves about what we feel about others. 1 John 3, 16 and 17. We know what real love is because we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's real love. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Now, culturally, we live in a different time. We've got social programs and all kinds of stuff, and, and, and this isn't the same as they had because they had none of those support systems. But how many times do we convince ourselves that we can't help. I can't do anything. You know, I don't, I don't have enough. Years ago, I, I had a friend of mine that uh, I worked with. I mean, when I say years ago, I mean like 40, okay? <laughs> it's been a while. And, and, you know, he. do you guys know what United Way is? Do you guys still hear that? You know, they raise money. And in our company, we all supported United Way. And, and there was a cute young lady who was on the United Way recruiting committee, and she approached him, and he and responding like all young men did, pledged, you know, $10 a month that year, which was a lot back then, to the United Way, mainly to get in her good graces, uh, which didn't work out, you know, but that's okay. So a year rolls around, and it's time to renew your United Way pledge. And he was a very well-dressed young man, drove a nice car, lived in a nice apartment. He was an engineer like I was. And we were sitting in the same Cubro, and we got the little invitation to renew our pledges. And he said, you know, last year, boy, last year I gave $10 a month. And boy, you know, this year's a little tighter. I, I just don't think I can afford to give that $10 a month. Now, $10 a month didn't cover his bar tab on a Friday night. I mean, you know, it, 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 it was nothing. And, and I looked at him, and I just laughed. 
And he was my friend, and so we could do this. And I said, look, you don't want to give 10 bucks a month to United Way. Don't give 10 bucks a month. Seriously, don't give it. If you don't want to give it, don't give it. But never tell yourself that it's because you can't afford it. Don't lie to yourself, because that's not true. You just don't want to do it. And that's, that's the hard part for us to be able to, to honestly look at ourselves and to realize that, yeah, you know something? We can make a difference in someone's life. We can sow into somebody that, that, that needs it. There are, are, are people out there who are hurting that we have the potential resources to make a difference. So the answer isn't if we can help. The answer is will we help? And if we will help, what's the best way to help? Because really, we don't want to just do things in a dysfunctional way. We want to do things in a way that makes a difference, that brings true transformation and brings healing and help and, and hope, that demonstrates God's love for them and draws them closer to Christ. Now, we're going to be doing some joint projects in the months to come, we're pleased that it looks like we're going to be able to, to double our outreach to the, to the homeless kids. There, there are homeless kids. They're called McKinney-Vento kids, both in Aurora Public Schools. We've been partnering with you know, Iron Sharp Foundation the last couple of years doing, I think we did 1,250 backpacks along with some other groups. But it looks like we can double that number and do both the homeless kids in, in Aurora as well as the Cherry Creek schools because we're going to be able to do those in our own community, which is kind of cool. Uh, I, think. I didn't know there were 1,000 kids of homeless you know, parents in, in Cherry Creek schools, but there are. But, but, but when we think about that, we really need to think about the totality of people's needs. Because here's the deal. What do our neighbors need? Because it differs from neighborhood to neighborhood. It does. Now, there are, though, some universal needs that everybody has, regardless of culture, regardless of socioeconomic background, religion, uh, you know, doesn't matter, even generation. There's some universal needs that sociologists have identified. And what's happening in our country is, is we are embracing decisions and directions which are going to cut people off from these needs being met. So what will the church do to step in the gap? I was on a conference call this week with some, some spiritual leaders and community leaders, and we were talking about these. And one gentleman who's a pastor in a, in a tough part of the city was sharing that, you know, here's some of the, some of these are from him, basically. He talked about insecurities. He said, you know, people have food insecurity. That's one of the reasons we support Hope's Provision across the street. It's a great food bank. They do about 500 families a week. But there are people out there who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Now, do we really look at people and say, hey, we can't feed you, or do we support food banks so that they can go get food? And if they don't go pick it up, well, that's not my issue. I mean, come on, the food is there. Can we help them get there? There's housing insecurity. This is becoming a bigger and bigger deal. How many of you know somebody who cannot afford to pay their rent or struggles to pay their rent? How many of you have been asked, do you know of a place where I can rent a room for cheap because I can't afford my own apartment? We all know that because this city has gotten crazy. But, but what is the church's response to this housing crisis going to be? I'm not 100% sure. Did you know that, that in the state of Colorado, per homeless person, depending on whose numbers you use, 
The state spends between sixty dollars and $100,000 per person per year. Those are not made-up numbers. Those are quantifiable, tangible numbers. Depends on the numerator and the denominator. We're spending sixty dollars to $100,000 per homeless person, but people are not getting off the street. Why? It's a really good question. Now, when you use the term homeless, people have this kind of image of people in tents, and that is not an accurate description of the entire homeless community. You have, you have working homeless, you know, or people who are in housing insecurity. They, they can afford like these month-to-month apart, or motel rooms, but they can never get out of those motel rooms because they can never save enough money for the first and last month's rent, and their credit scores are lousy. And then you have retirees on fixed income who are living in their cars, and then you have people who have drug issues. And then you have people who have mental issues. And then you got people who just want to be homeless. But, but within that boundary condition, how do we help them? I don't know. But there are answers. I know we need to support people like the Salvation Army and people like the Denver Rescue Mission. Those are important, but there's some other things we need to do. And again, we need to be open to where the Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, hey, maybe you should do something to make a difference in an individual's situation. People have health care concerns. You've been to the doctor recently? Why are you laughing? <laughs> Has anybody found a doctor who works for free? Just curious. Now, I'm not against doctors getting paid, but last fall I had something called an ablation procedure. It's because I have AFib or had AFib, depending on how you want to look at it. Now, I went in, had this procedure. They, they fry some nerves in your heart. And it was, you know, it, was like it was a morning procedure. And when I got done with the insurance, you know, looking through it all, the total bill was $20,000. Insurance paid 80%. They paid $16,000. We paid $4,000. A lot of money. But, but we had the $4,000, praise Jesus. If we had not had insurance, if we had just simply got the bill from the hospital, you want to know what the bill was before the insurance discount? $150,000 for four hours, four hours. I go, mean, what the heck did you do? I mean, you know, you know it's, it's, while you were in there, you should have taken a kidney to cover the cost. I, you know, I, I mean, that's insane. Who has $150,000? Nobody has $150,000. Then nobody has that. But, but the question is, then, as the church of Jesus Christ, how do we address this whole healthcare crisis? It's crazy. I don't have great answers. I wish I had better answers, but I'm telling you, God can speak into your mind and heart solutions to some of these problems. Economic opportunity. That's a euphemism for life's better with a job. <laughs> yeah, life's better with a job. Try living without a job. Can I get an amen in this house? Life's better with a job. How about a good job with upward mobility? But again, as the church of Jesus Christ, what is our obligation to our family, to our community of faith, and to the broader community out there? How can God use us to help people discover within themselves the fact that they can work to support themselves? How many people do you know that don't believe they can support themselves by, by the jobs they can? Or, or they, they see themselves limited. There's a lot of $12 an hour jobs. There's not a lot of $100,000 jobs, but $12 an hour jobs can become a $100,000 a year job. They can't if you have faith and wisdom and direction and some coaching. Community engagement. 
May was mental health month. One of the most debilitating conditions that creates mental health issues in people's lives is disconnection from community. Homo sapien is not genetically designed to live life alone. We are a pack animal. We are. We're in, you're smiling. We are. We're not intended to go home to an empty place and, and stare at a screen and live vicariously through TikTok or Facebook or whatever. We're intended to sit down, break bread, and have social interaction. And technology has allowed us to isolate. And the more we isolate, the more dysfunctional we become, and the deeper our depression, the deeper our discouragement, the deeper the, 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 deeper the lies of the enemy begin to ingrain us. And that's why I believe that church is a community. That's why we, we want to offer connections. And I'm not against social media. I'm on social media. But they're not substitutes for interactive existence, for being in a small group or a Bible study or a Sunday morning service or, or just going out for coffee with friends. Perhaps the most valuable thing that you can ever get from a church would be the acceptance into an extended family. Every single person needs to have some place in your life that when you go there, you are celebrated. You're celebrated. People look at you and say, I'm really glad to see you today. You matter to me. My day is better because I connected with you. And that's not just some bumper sticker. That's a, that's a psychological need. They have literally proven that. That if you do not have a place in your life where you are celebrated, when you go there, your potential for, for everything from suicide to, to, to self-abuse to abuse of others goes through the roof. And everything we just read from Paul says that we should find a way to accept others and be in community with them. But in the end, the greatest need that people have is that of spiritual epiphany. That's a fancy term for they need Jesus. Because do you know what the odds are of somebody significantly making a life change without having an encounter with Jesus Christ? Almost zero. But when people have an encounter with Jesus Christ, they suddenly discover a, a greatness within themselves that is God-given and a power within themselves that, that is God-given and an ability within themselves to transform and, and lay down and, and put stuff in the past. I loved the prayer we made at, at the transition between worship and the teaching. And I, I shared in the first service how at Wednesday night prayer, you know, several weeks ago, uh, I was, you know, got this word from God that, that I really wanted to pray it over my life and over the life of my family and over the life of our church. And then that is that we are healed, delivered, and set free. We are healed, delivered, and set free. That we would experience personally in the Bowling family and, and in the, the community of faith here at Encounter and, and in this city, the healing power of Jesus, the delivering power of Jesus, and the freedom from anything that can control or direct our lives. Because that's what Christ died for. Not, not part salvation, not partial salvation, but complete salvation. So that he would make the, 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 the sozo, the, the, the zoe life, the complete life available to us. 
And we, the church of Jesus Christ, have the ability by loving others to do good. Because doing good is dope. To address food, to address housing, to address health care, to address economic opportunity, to address community engagement, and to address the, the, the desperate spiritual void which is prevalent in our culture today. Again, sociologists and others have all, all quantified that we are on a highway to hell. We are. They, they, they are looking at the future saying, if we don't get change, something bad's going to happen. Technology, which used to be a friend, is, is now becoming something people are afraid of. Have you heard about how AI is going to replace half the jobs in America? Yeah. This morning, one of my sons sent me this deal. He says, Dad, guess what? You're obsolete. And I said, what? And, he, and, and, the, and the thing, they just had a holographic pastor preach an AI-generated sermon to a packed house in Germany. Yes, way. And, and I go, was it any good? I don't know. Maybe he's better than I am. I mean, you know, it's, it's the point of it is technology, which used to be our friend, is now becoming our enemy. But you know, the community cannot be replaced by a robot. Can't. And what they need, we have. So how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? How do we not get tired of doing what is good? How do we at just the right time reap the blessings if we don't give up? How do we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity that we do good to everyone and especially those of the family of faith? You take the voice of the Spirit and the truth of the Word and you let them merge in your heart and in your mind and you let God direct you. You don't have to solve all the world's problems. You're not responsible for all the world's problems. But you are responsible, and so am I, to acknowledge that we have the ability to make a difference. And where we can, do so. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. It's a light to our feet and a lamp into our path. It is an encouragement to our souls. It really is, God. Even when you share truth that's difficult or hard, it, 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 is, it is meant to make us better, to make us stronger, to make us healthier, to make us wiser. And we thank you for that word. God, we acknowledge that we have embraced at times a more selfish approach to life than we should. That's human nature too, but there's grace. There's grace, God, to overcome our selfishness. And we thank you for that. Now, God, help us to know how to love first ourselves. Because if we don't love ourselves, God, it's, we have nothing to give out. And then help us to love our families, God. The families come under a lot of attack. The family has been ravaged by the enemy. But help us go beyond just our own families and let us love the body of Christ. Let us love this fellowship of people. Let's celebrate them, God. And then, Father, help us to be salt to this world, to be light to an increasingly dark community, a community which is, is just in bondage to, to deception and in bondage to, to 
just destructive stuff that they're not even aware of, Father. And the consequence, Father, of, of their actions, the consequence of their decisions is going to be death. Spiritual death, emotional death, relational death, and in some cases, physical death. But help us be rescuers, God. Help us to intervene before that final end happens. Help us to be your vessels of love to a world that doesn't even know what love means. They're so distorted in their understanding. Help us, God. Show us where we can make a difference. Show us how we can pour in the oil and the wine the way that the, the Samaritan did the man who had been attacked. If we're to get involved in community things, show us which ones. If we're to reach out to an individual, show us who that is. If we're to begin to give money directly to somebody to help them overcome where they're at, to support people in need, Father. Show us who and when and how. We don't want to be empowering wrong behaviors, God, but neither do we want to ignore legitimate needs. Just let the Holy Spirit just talk to you a little bit here. Pat, you got something? Anything? No? Sarah Malone, anything? You got anything? No. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This is not one of those yay, hey, hey sermons, but this is one I, I, I hope plants a seed and it is incorruptible and that the enemy won't steal it because of the cares of this world, that the tough times won't dry it up, but that it'll be watered by the word of the Spirit or the, the presence of the Spirit so that it may germinate, put down roots, and bear fruit in not only this week, but in the years to come. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.